Time. It's time to get back to the Matt Wyatt Show. Live in the studio. All right, here we go. Hour number two of the show, off and running with you on this Thursday slash opening day of the Masters slash, I say opening day, opening round of the Masters, uh, opening day for Major League Baseball. You're even going to have college baseball tonight. You do have one series getting started uh, tonight and uh, the rest of them tomorrow. State and Ole Miss start their weekend series tomorrow, as does Southern Miss. Uh, State's going to host LSU. Beginning tomorrow night, It'll be a big series at Duty Noble Field. Ole Miss going to host Alabama this weekend at Swayze. Ole Miss looking to rebound from midweek loss to Southern Miss. So there's a whole lot either starting or about to start as we get closer and closer to the weekend. Thanks for tuning in. You can text me today, an hour or two, on the country pleasing text line. It is 601 number 885 ESPN. 601 885 ESPN. You need the number itself, it's 885-3776. Or call me on the Divini phone, Divini Equipment in Madison and in Jackson. Your Kubota dealer, it's 995-1059, a 601 number, 995-1059. Opening round underway. More and more top players in the world teeing off today at Augusta National. Uh, I, like so many others, I'm sure, I don't have to ask, I'm sure, have been following the featured groups at Masters.com, which certainly includes Tiger Woods. He's on the back nine now. He's sitting there at even. And um, had a little flurry there at one point and got it under par and dropped a shot at eight and then managed to get up and down on nine. But uh, it is a gorgeous day. They're just I'm looking at it on a screen, so I'm not there. Let's talk to someone who is on the Divinity Equipment phone line. Don Williams, live from Augusta National. Don, thanks for a little time here on uh, the second day straight. Um, is it as beautiful in person, picturesque uh, today at Augusta as it appears on my computer screen right now? <laughs> Hello, Matt. Yes. It is. It's even more so considering what uh, this area uh, had to go through for the last uh, 48 hours. It was very dangerous here on Tuesday afternoon. Tornadoes in the area, uh, some strikes, uh, particularly uh, about 40 or 50 miles east of here in South Carolina. Um, so high winds, lots of thunder, plenty of rain. And then Wednesday, they got a little bit of a reprieve for the... Um, uh, the people who had Wednesday tickets, uh, unlike Tuesday when they only got on the grounds for three hours, yesterday they were fine and the par three got underway. And at about 3.30 or so, they blew the horn because more storms were coming. So uh, they didn't get the full day in, but they got most of the day in. But then the rain was torrential last night. If you watched any of the uh, uh, live from the Masters on the Golf Channel, you could see behind the talking heads the rain just pouring down about 7 or 8 o'clock last night. And the rain continued through the night. And, and in fact, as I drove over this morning, I left home about 6.30, uh, and it was uh, uh, drizzling uh, the entire trip. And when I got out of the car at 8, it was still uh, drizzling or misting just a little bit. And, of course, the first tee-off times were at 8.30. And magically, by 8.30, the rains had stopped, 
and still it was still kind of cloudy and just gray and you know mm. muggy feeling until about nine thirty or maybe ten and the sun came out the uh, winds picked up and right now as as people are watching online as you said it is uh, pretty much a picture perfect day and the good news is that's what we expect from here on out except for well uh picture perfect for you and me maybe yeah. not for them <laughs> Uh, because they've got a little bit of a wind to contend with the rest of the afternoon and all day tomorrow. Maybe not so bad Saturday and Sunday. Don, that's the thing. You mentioned the wind. Okay, so, you, you know, you can see, like right now, I'm watching uh, Tiger Woods is about to tee off here at 11, and you see the trees along the tee box in the fairway kind of rustling a little bit. It's nothing major. But then, like, I see a shot of the number nine green, and the flag is really whipping kind of coming out of the West, and you saw the, the pant legs of some of the players really whipping in the wind. I, I just, I'm wondering if the wind is already starting to affect the golf tournament, and, and we didn't think it would until Friday? Yeah, um, I think it's more so than I thought. I thought we would have. I thought we would have a birdie fest today, yeah. and um, we don't. We don't. We have, at this moment, we have... Uh, 17 players under par, which sounds like a bunch, uh, but the reality is uh, a lot of those are players who've only played a hole or two where there are some birdies early on. Backside today has played a little bit more difficult than uh, than the front side, which is unusual. Usually the front is harder. Um, but, but yes, I think the wind has uh, definitely uh, played a factor. Uh, from where I'm sitting, I can see outside, and the flags that I can see are not... Uh, uh, not blowing too hard, but then I saw, like you did, somewhere it just they're whistling, and it just depends. And that's always been the nature of this golf course, uh, of where you are on the course, and and uh, you know where, how much clearing there is for the wind to get through the trees, and it can really be uh, an effect. When it's ten to fifteen here, it always has an effect. At, at a lot of golf courses, ten to fifteen miles an hour is not a not a big deal, but because of the way the wind swirls here. When it gets to 10 to 15, that does affect the players. And the fact that it's supposed to be 20 or even higher tomorrow uh, does not bode well. Uh, much like, uh, I think, Friday, if I remember the correct day, at the players several weeks ago in Jacksonville, where it was an absolute uh, uh, tough, tough, tough day for, for everybody. Sure. So it'll be interesting. Um, yeah, the, the combined field right now, and we're halfway through, not even halfway through round one, is more than 100 shots over par. And with the exception of Joaquin Neiman, who was at three under for a half a second before he bogeyed his next hole, nobody has gotten better than two under so far. And a lot of people have gotten to two under and then fallen back, including Padraig Harrington and, uh, um, well, a bunch of folks have gotten to two and then have seen their number go back. Right now, two is the lead, and there are... Seven players at two under par, including former champion Charles Schwartzel and Danny Willett. Mm-hmm. Now, if I said a couple of former champions are <laughs> going to be uh, leading this thing at one o'clock uh, Central Time, you would have said, "Well, let me see." And you named about fifteen names, and I'm not sure that Schwartzel and Willett would have been the names you named. <laughs> I think you're probably right. You know, and Don, you mentioned the the group of seven players right now as we speak at two under in the early going. And one of those is Cameron Smith, who he's got four birdies on his card, 
in the first, I guess, 11 holes of his round. The thing is, though, he doubled the first hole right out of the chute, so he's had to work his way back to 200. But since then, he's a guy who's gotten hot, and he's had he's put up good scores in the past at uh, Augusta National. He might be one to keep an eye on, huh? Well, I think that uh, two of the uh, the names <clears throat> uh, that were most anticipated, beside Tiger, of course, were Cameron Smith and Scotty Scheffler, and there they are, mm-hmm. tied for the lead at two under par. And that is quite a comeback from a double bogey on the first hole. He had his, he had his tee ball into the bunker on the right-hand side uh, of the fairway on number one and then hit the lip trying to come out, so came out sideways. So he's lying two where he should be uh, lying one, and then he hit his third shot over the green, chipped it uh, uh, past, and then missed the, the six-footer. So that's how you make a double bogey. I'm very familiar with that. <laughs> and then did not birdie, did not birdie number two, which is a hole that a lot of people get. So he was still two over and stayed there at three and four before birdieing the very difficult, maybe the most difficult hole on the front, and that's number five. He birdied five, he birdied six, he birdied eight, he birdied nine. So Smith has come back. He's in good shape right now. And uh, so those are two of the players that uh, everybody had their eye on, along with, of course, the traditional John Rahm, Justin Thomas, uh, Jordan, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, Spieth, and, uh, you know, um, McElroy, who's in the last group today. Mm-hmm. Uh, DJ, of course, but uh, all of them are, are just now getting their rounds underway. So, and uh, <clears throat> for if you like old players, and you know, at my age, I certainly do. Lee Westwood at 48 is uh, 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 one of those who's tied for the lead, and he's teased all of us uh, too many times over the years. So, I'm not getting too excited, but he did birdie the second and the third, so his name is up there right now. For the moment, Don Williams on your radio. He's joining us live from Augusta National. Uh, it's day one, round one. Looked at some names uh, there, Don. You know, and you mentioned number two. Okay, so a lot of players take advantage of that sort of downhill par five um, swinging approach shot, depending on where they put the pin on that par five number two, and a lot of guys have birdied it. I, I just thought this is an oddball question, I know, but that, that image a few years ago, of watching Louis Oosthuizen hole out from the fairway for the double eagle on number two. And it was one of the, I wasn't there, I was watching it on television. Just seeing it on television stuck in my head so much. It's a cool thing to see that happen. But it's probably not one that that every golf fan is going to mention when you mention these, these incredible moments at the Masters. It wasn't on a Sunday, it wasn't on 18, that sort of thing. You've watched this right. event for 38 years now as a covering it as a member of the media. Do you have any of those non uh, top of everybody's list moments or shots that stand out to you on some of these holes? And I know that's a an off the wall, out of nowhere question. I'm just curious what you might th- say. Uh, it's funny. I'll, I'll tell you quickly about um, that that shot. Uh, it happened on number two, as you said. And I was on the third fairway, and as the crow flies, you know, not very far away. Yeah. And, you know, I could actually see the green through the trees, and but, you know, the shot came from uh, 240 yards. And so I didn't see the shot, but I heard the roar and looked over, and, and I saw I saw him, you know, jumping up and down in the fairway. 
So I was I was that close to actually seeing the whole thing, yeah. uh, and it, it was indeed it was indeed remarkable. Yeah, it's hard to say over thirty eight years. Sure. Uh, you know anything that, but I, I do remember one thing in particular. It was number fourteen on a Saturday. I'm just trying to make sure I'm right. Yeah, fourteen, and it was one of the years, probably about six years ago, when uh, Bernhard Langer at that time, the advanced age of 58, was playing super and was in contention. Actually, on Sunday, he was in the next-to-last group. Um, and so on. he was playing with Jason Day, who at that time was one of the top players in the world. And 14's a tough hole, and both of them, uh, Day was about 60 feet away, and Bernhard had missed the green long, and so it was his play, and chipped it in from probably 75 feet to keep uh, what was an electric round going. And then Jason Day calmly stepped up right behind him and drained the (laughs) 60-footer. That was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine to see that back-to-back. Just one of those moments, Don, wasn't it, that drives the the thought home of, hey, these guys are good. They play a little bit of a different game. These guys are pretty good. Now, let me ask you this, because I'm watching just like you. Does it seem to you, if you had time to pay attention, the Tigers' limp might be a little more pronounced here the last three or four holes? Yes, absolutely. Don, I noticed it, the the same thing, I noticed it when he was walking downhill after his tee shot on on number 10. On number 9. 9, yes. I saw it on 9. Well, I I noticed it on 9, too, but it was one of those, because he had tugged his his uh tee shot left it's like they wanted to be close up on his face as he came down the fairway you know <laughs> to get his facial right. expression because you knew he was going to be upset and and you could kind of notice it there too yes um that's a concern isn't it well you would think so uh, it just looked to me like he was laboring a little bit on both the uh, eight and uh, i mean nine and ten and of course, as everybody has, and it's absolutely true. Mm. Uh, this uh, forced to walk. He just hit his uh, second shot on eleven, and this will make the fifth um, non-par three in a row where he's missed the green. Mm. And so he's been obviously he's been chipping and putting tremendously, with the exception of eight, where he he just dumped a chip short of the green and ended up making a bogey on number eight which is a par five, and you just don't do that. But it's got to concern him a little bit that he's not nailing his shots to the greens. Started off great um, and made a tough 10-footer for par on the uh, first hole and then uh, you know, got his, uh, got his birdie uh, when he hit it tight on four and uh, lipped out what would have been a birdie on five. Uh, but then uh, he's had trouble hitting greens. Now, on 11, he just was short by five or six feet, but still, he has not hit a green in regulation since number five, I believe. Yeah. I, I noticed a little bit of the limp at nine. Then when he was on the green at nine, he's going to get you know behind his ball and sort of uh, see the line, and instead of squatting all the way down, he couldn't really, you know, he, he sort of halfway squatted down, and I noticed that. And then walking down the hill pretty steep after his tee shot at 10, it looked to me like he was laboring a little more. You've walked down that fairway. like Somebody that hasn't seen the down and up of number 10 in person, how do you describe how steep that is? 
Oh, well, uh, on a day like this where there's been so much rain, uh, you have to be very careful to keep your footing on some of these holes as you go downhill. And, of course, they do a good job of putting down some uh, some materials uh, to, to try to dry it out. Uh, but still, I have seen many, many people take a take a header or, you know, have their feet go out from mm-hmm. under them and land on their rear end because of how steep some of these slopes are. And I think the, in particular, uh, 9 and 10 and 11 um, are, and 18, of course, are that way. And, and uh, some of them, obviously, 18's uphill. Uh, but uh, nine is down and then back up, and ten is straight down and then straight back up. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are those are tough. Those sure. are tough holes right there. But I'll, I'll, you know, I, I will say this: he's uh, even though he's he's missed a few greens, he hadn't missed them badly. Uh, his golf game seems good, especially his short game, which obviously he probably was able to practice more than longer stuff as he was uh, convalescing. Uh, and his Fred couple said, no, he's hitting the ball beautifully. Uh, he looks like Tiger Woods. But uh, you just have to wonder, can that leg hold up for 72 holes if it's already bothering him on the, on the 11th hole on, on the first day? No question. Don Williams, live from Augusta National, on your radio uh, right now. Don, just curious, uh, your years as a media person there, how many times have you gotten to play Augusta um, after the tournament three times three times 80 um 87 02 and 09 and uh, i'm eligible to play again you can't play inside of a seven-year window so it's been 13 years but for various reasons i've held off uh entering a lottery that they have Hmm. Uh, either the weather was going to be bad on monday or i had something else i had to do and this year i've got the best excuse of all uh, Matt, I'm having hip surgery uh, in three weeks. Wow. So I didn't think I wanted to try to get around this golf course with a balky hip. Uh, so I'm hoping that maybe next year I'll be 100% ready to go. Boy, that'd be great. I hope you are. I, well, and, and good luck with the surgery. I guess it means uh, you just have plenty of time to, to watch some baseball, some early season baseball from a chair, preferably. Yeah, I think uh, – I think the uh, the middle. I think the month of May is going to be really good for me and really bad for Donna. <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> Nurse Donna. She's going to be taking care of you. Well, we'll be checking in on you and, and make sure that uh, all is well there. Good luck with that. Hey, um, but but related to having played it three times, if you could go out there and, and health, you know, have your health intact and and play one hole, just pick one hole. Which one would you go play? Oh, that's a great question. That's a really good question because uh, there's a lot of holes that I really like as far as a spectator is concerned. As a player, mm. they all scare me to death. <laughs> they scare me to death. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you were in my office in uh, Starkville many times, mm. and uh, there were pictures of me uh, teeing off uh, on number 12. Yeah. So that's 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 the iconic hole at Augusta, I think, and it isn't it the twelve or sixteen, one of the par threes. Sure. I um I twelve is great. Twelve is yeah. a great hole. Yeah, I think you know I've obviously never gotten the chance to play it. Sixteen would be hard to for me, but you know, to the if you had one shot at it, you might choose the tee shot at eighteen just because you've watched so many iconic moments when the pressure was on and someone needed to hit that fairway, but. Uh, 
That yeah. that the last time I played it, it for some reason I guess because trees grow, right? It seemed more narrow than it had ever been in my life, and um, that was one of my proudest shots because I, I hit a little bit of a draw when I'm playing well. And I started it out near the trees on the right, and it bent back just perfectly to the middle of the fairway. I was I was very proud of myself. I won't mention the rest of the shots that followed that one on 18, but that was a really good drive. That's great. Well, see, and it was memorable. You know, you had a memorable moment there for sure. And something memorable That's is right. going to happen this week at the tournament. Don, um, the time always goes by quickly. Watching Tiger, he's going to try to putt here for – uh, par on 11. We'll see if he can do that, and then uh, watch the rest. And we should tell people that are just, we should tell people that Soon J M just went out and uh, started his round a few minutes ago and birdied one, birdie two, birdie three. So he's wow. a three under and has his name on top of the leaderboard. But uh, give him time. Give him time. He'll he'll find some heartbreak before too long. I'm sure. That's right. It's like baseball. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Don, thank you so much. <laughs> All right, bud. Good talking to you. Good take talk care. to you, too. You take care. Thank you. That's Don Williams live from Augusta. Tiger Woods is on the green in three on number 11. He's going to try to salvage a par there, move on to 12, and that iconic tee shot on the par three over Ray's Creek that Don just talked about. That's coming up. Masters coverage. Hey, and more of those baseball voices from the past. How about some Harry Carey coming up, huh? On opening day, Major League Baseball? Yeah. Got that for you coming up next. I'm Matt in the Bureau, Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Stick around. Not bald. He's just taller than his hair is. Nice hair! It's a Matt Wyatt Show. Another one-putt par on a par four for Tiger Woods. He's had three straight now to keep his round at even par. He did it on nine. Tee shot left into the woods. And he's short of the... The green on two gets up, one putt, par out of there. Same thing on 10. He hit the green on his approach, but it rolled off. And so one putt, par. Now again on 11. You know, you heard Don say short. He hits the green in three, one putt. Salvage par there. And he's at even about to tee off on that uh, that 12th hole, that par three that uh, we all know about. There's a quick Tiger Masters update. I'm Matt in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Hope you enjoyed the Don Williams interview live from Augusta. He's there as a part of the media contingent. Robbie, you texted me on the country please and text line. Appreciate that, Matt. Great interview. Glad you enjoyed it. Ghost Pepper, it's been a while, man. Ghost Pepper texted me and said, what's up, Matt? Long time no listen. Just got back home, immediately stocked up on country pleasing. You... Have your priorities straight, it appears. <clears throat> and we do, too. I'll continue to give you some Masters updates. But, uh, Bill, uh, what say we get back into some of the nostalgic baseball? Are you all for that? Let's do it. Let's do that, shall we? The nostalgic baseball. 
And, Bill, you have a clip of some Harry Carey calls, the late, great, iconic Chicago Cubs announcer. What it sounded like, you know, we always talk about other things with Harry Carey and the shenanigans and the antics and all, but at the heart of it, he was really a good play-by-play announcer. And over the years, he called the Cardinals and then, what, White Sox a little bit, and then the Cubs forever and ever, we know. You got a clip there of several of his calls. This is what it sounded like when Harry Carey called a ball game. Now the pitch. There's a high drive, deep right center way back. Might be out of here. It's off the wall. One run is in. Two runs are in. A third man score. And look at this star. Way back. Might be out of here. Hey, hey, hey. He did it again. He did it again. Oh. The game is tied. Holy cow. How about that? Here it is. There goes the runner. Hey, a line drive off the pitcher's game is over. Cubs win. What a lucky break. The good Lord wants the Cubs to win. A line drive deflected by Smith to the shortstop Owen. And it's a double play. One ball, two strikes. The pitch. Hey, Cubs win the division! Cubs win the division! Cubs win the division! <laughs> There's a long drive! Way back in the left field! Near the wall! The Cubs win! The Cubs win! That's great stuff. That is great stuff from Harry Carey, the longtime great Cardinals and and uh, Cubs announcer. You know, I mentioned antics and those kinds of things, too. If you ever were lucky enough to watch a Cubs game back on the old WGN and he and Steve Stone calling a game, you never knew what you were going to get. I don't know what the big deal about Cracker Jack is. Did you ever go buy a pack of Cracker Jack thinking you're going to get a prize and find no prize <laughs> in the box? <laughs> Here's the pitch. That might not sound important to some people, but when, you, when you're a little kid, especially from humble origin, and they cheat you out of a prize, there's a bouncing ball. Second baseman has the Barbary over the first. It's hard to think in laudatory terms of the product. <laughs> I think it there was an occasional box of Cracker Jacks that found no prizes for uh, the, the for the little Harry Carey many years ago. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> and boy, when a box of Cracker Jack to me meant a lot of money. Here's a pitch bounce foul. That's the most asinine marketing I've ever heard of. <laughs> one ball, one strike. These guys say, well, you... You sing about Cracker Jack. I said that I only sing it because it's in the song. Here's a pitch foul back. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised, even to this day, some youngsters who buy a box of Cracker Jack don't find a prize in the box. One ball, two strikes, two out. Well, if you're going to talk about our congressman being crooked, Here's the pitch foul out of play. 
Why not talk about commercial products that don't do what they represent to do? <laughs> I love how he just picks up right where the game is. I know. So he keeps on talking about Cracker Jack it's, the whole time. It's totally <laughs> sort of miss a beat. intertwined. You can keep up. There's a foul ball out of play. Yeah. Now, speaking of politics. Yeah, that's asinine. <laughs> asinine marketing. I mean, Harry Carey. Okay, and yes, uh, Hogjowl, Hogjowl sent me a text, and he says, have you heard Will Ferrell uh, impersonate Harry oh, Carey? Yeah. He's great. And and yes, his, like Harry Carey is iconic enough that Will Ferrell's impressions of him have become sort of iconic. Hey, now, Ken, we all know that the moon is not made of green cheese. <laughs> yes, that's true, Harry. But... But what if it were made of barbecue spare ribs? Would you eat it then? What? I know I would. Heck, I'd have seconds. And then, then polish it off with a tall, cool Budweiser. <laughs> I would do it. Yeah, yeah. Would you? <laughs> I'm confused. It's a simple question, doctor. Would you eat the moon if it were made of ribs? <laughs> I mean, it's... Oh, gosh. I mean, it's it's great stuff. It never fails to entertain you. Uh, another guy who was very entertaining, we talked about him the other day, uh, Dizzy Dean. He's from Arkansas, but he married a woman from Mississippi. Actually, his final resting place is with her here in a cemetery in South Mississippi. Dizzy Dean, great player. He was a pitcher and uh, really a personality here is a clip from Come when he called games. Tell us all about it. Thank you, Pee-wee, and I can't keep remarking how well you are talking. And so long as you've talked today, I begin to think that for a minute I wasn't even going to get on today. Well, Dave had a lot of practice last week. I uh, <laughs> got to do six innings, and uh, oh, six innings you did. Oh, yeah, I was a big man last well, week. I don't know, see no reason why you shouldn't do six today, partner. <laughs> Joe Fontano leads things off up there as we start the ball game. Hunt winds up the first pitch of the ball game with a fastball high for ball one. Stevie told you a beautiful afternoon for baseball here across the field in Cincinnati, Ohio. Joe Amontapano, the second sacker up there with the count of one ball and no strike. He, he, he had trouble with his name and he called him the second sacker. He didn't say the yeah. second baseman. He called him the second sacker. I have a clip here of an interview with Dizzy Dean and he started telling a a baseball story. Check this out. And I started the ball game in the third inning. We only allowed to pitch three innings in those days. And in the third inning, I had two men out, and Earl Averill came to the plate. And he had a line drive back at my, and hit me on a big toe and broke him. I, we got him out on the play, but then 10 days later, I tried to pitch with a splint on my toe in Boston, Massachusetts against the Braves, and that's when I hurt my arm. I was, and funny thing, Ron, I was 13 wins and one loss at the time that happened in 1937. I never won another ball game the rest of the year. You were hard-headed enough to well, want to I, pitch. I wanted to play ball. I, uh, I believe that everybody uh, want to go out there and give them their best, and I believe they do, and, uh, and I just love to play game, uh, baseball. You know, when I signed my baseball contract, it was a lot better to go out there and pitch for $3,000 a year, and, and, and 7500 is the most I got for winning 30 ball games, but it still beat picking cotton for 50 cents in Arkansas. I'll tell you that right now, partner. <laughs> $7,500 for a year. And it sure beat and he won 30 games. picking cotton <laughs> for 50 cents in Arkansas. And then he finished the sentence with Putnam. Um, the late, great Buck O'Neill, he's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, player and manager. And played, you know, 
um, and coached in what they uh, refer to as the old uh, Negro Leagues. He was a World Series champion there, Buck O'Neill, just an an unbelievable guy in person. He was featured on a lot of the baseball documentaries that have been done. He was born in 1911, and he passed away in 2006. But you can't watch any major baseball documentary without seeing and hearing Buck O'Neill as a part of it. And in one of those, they asked him with the cameras rolling if he knew the words to take me out to the ball game. And he hesitated a minute. He said, I'm not a singer. But he hesitated a minute, and then he began to sing it all by himself, a cappella. And that's what it sounded like. A man born in 1911 who watched Babe Ruth play, singing by himself on camera. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I ever get back where we'll root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. One, two, three strikes you out at the old ball game. How about that? Pretty good voice. He had a great voice and a great storyteller. In fact, one of those stories is on my Twitter feed. I posted it last night. I'm Radio Wyatt on Twitter. If you want to go see it, it's there. And it's a video of Buck O'Neill describing the sound the ball made when Babe Ruth hit it. And... Without giving it away, uh, you might want to go watch it and see it. He, there were, it was Babe Ruth and two others that in his entire life, and, and the players he described were separated by 60, 70 years at least. Um, but he said, he described those three guys, and the only three times in his life he'd ever heard that sound. It was Babe Ruth and two others. You might want to check that out. Uh, it's on Twitter. I'm Radio Wyatt. I posted that last night. So when we come back, and I'll ask you these questions. Do you remember what it sounded like when you would watch back in the days when you were a kid this week in baseball with a guy named Mel Allen? Remember what that sounded like? Or what about when Skip Carey called Sid Bream sliding into home? What about when Harry Callis called Mike Schmidt's 500th? Or when Ernie Harwell called Jack Morris's no-hitter for the Tigers in 84? Red Barber calling Maris's 61st home run? Stick around. Yeah, you Cardinals fans, what it sounded like when Jack Buck was on the call? Y'all stick around. We'll have some of that for you next. I'm Matt in the Bureau. Stick around. The Mississippi State Radio Analyst. And he's on your radio right now. No. You got the Matt Wyatt Show. Masters update. Cameron Smith at three under through 12, and Sung J M at three under through four. Your leaders right now. Not a lot of low scores. Wind blowing around. And if they don't go low today, you wouldn't think they go low tomorrow. Just looking at the weather forecast, lots of wind. But, hey, the wind's blowing today. Let's see. We shall see. All right, more of uh, celebrating baseball. Today's Major League Baseball opening day. Uh, not for every team, but it is 
the first few games of the year. In fact, the first game of the year post lockout is underway. We got a scoreless game in the top of the second in Chicago at Wrigley Field, Brewers and Cubs. Going on right now, scoreless. Uh, Reds and Braves tonight in Atlanta, seven o'clock Central ESPN two. I'll watch it. It's uh, one of the few later starts in Major League Baseball this year that I'll stay up for. <laughs> okay, just telling you like it is. Just telling you like it is. Let's talk a little baseball now, okay? What it used to sound like. Baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the new. Uh, do you remember this week in baseball? When I was a kid, this week in baseball used to come on, I guess, on Sunday afternoons, it seemed like, and it was always frustrating. You never knew exactly when or what channel to watch it on. It, it was harder back in those days, kids. We didn't have Google, okay? <laughs> We lived. We tried to remember. But this was, you'd hear this come on, and you knew you were in for a treat. Yeah, that was the theme for this weekend, but this week in baseball. They show the highlights from the week. It was actually before you even started watching Sports Center every day. That's how old I am. Okay, uh, when I mentioned Mel Allen, this is, this is Mel Allen. First and foremost, opening day. As a new season hits the road and the world champions from the Big Apple taste the early fruits of victory. Curtain up in the Queen City, where in keeping with tradition, a streamlined machine has an inaugural ball, cranking out a smashing debut. <laughs> what a voice, Mel Allen. He did a lot of play-by-play -play over the years. season that turned the baseball world around. Honoring a man whose start was an inspiration and whose courage has been firmly rooted in the game. Uh, Mel Allen, uh, the voice you heard there, you might want to, if you're interested, look it up, uh, read it. But he actually got his start in and around Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I, I think the story was that he was a student there at the University of Alabama. But uh, doing PA announcement, like public address, is, is sort of where it all started for him. It led to radio Next thing you know, he's moved to New York, gotten a job, started calling Yankees games uh, on the radio. You know, his pacing, guess who he sounds a lot like, the pacing. Who's that? Who, who sounds like him? Leonard Post hosties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can kind of hear that. That pacing. That, that saying, certain. Um, yeah. The, Throwing the, in the anecdotes. Yeah, he's not just reading it, but there's a certain lead into the punchline almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You certainly can see that. You know, you're talking about how Harry Carey, too, would work in the play call, weave it into the story. Um, probably the best ever, maybe the most notable guy that would do that. Would the, that would You'd hear people all over the, the place over the last 15, 20, 30 years that would say, you know, Vin Scully can tell this story, and he'll start telling it on the first pitch of the inning. And it's like, I don't know how he knows, but he will finish the story just as the third out is being made so that it goes to commercial break at the right time. Like, he had a knack for that. Uh, here's an, an example of uh, story time with Vin Scully during a ball game. Anyway, I was in the polo grounds in New York, upper deck and right field. I mean, I can remember that as clear as a bell. And a strike to Goldberg. Anyway, there was a commotion. A lot of people were running over to another area, not too far from where I was. So, being a kid, I went over to see what all the noise was about. And there he was, the way you would imagine him. 
One ball, one strike. There was Babe Ruth. He had a camel coat on and he had a cap. Not a baseball cap, a cap. And the kids were all around him wanting his autograph. That's going to be a strike one and two. And I can see and hear him now. Just a minute, just a minute. And he reached into one of the side pockets of that camel hair coat. And he took out what I would say was a stack of business cards. Little cards that people use for business. Two and two the count. They were blank on one side. And on the other side was a stamped Babe Ruth signature. So there was no pens or pencils or paper. He just handed out the business cards. And you might say, did you get one? You bet I did. Do I still have it? Nope. Lost it. I don't know. Disappeared. Probably wouldn't be worth much because it was a stamp signature, but it was the babe. And I must say, it was beautifully handwritten before it became a stamp. Two and two. The worst signatures in America, without a doubt, can be found on baseballs signed by big leaguers. The worst. <laughs> Hard to write on a baseball. Yeah, it's round, right? And, uh, yeah, that's how Vin Scully would... Recently retired, Vin Scully would work in the story during those broadcasts. He kind of became known for that. Certainly, you know, the older he got. Red Barber was a great Yankees announcer and, and just baseball announcer in general. And he was from, originally, Columbus, Mississippi, but wound up in New York doing Yankees games. And, and Bill, you got it. He was on the call the day that Roger Maris hit number 61. Yep, here it is. Low. Ball two. Crowd is reacting negatively. They want to see Maris uh, get something he can swing on. There it is. How about that? He didn't say much, did he, Bill? Nope. He just let, let the crowd do the talking. How about that? Roger Maris rounding the bases. That's Red Barber on the call. Originally yeah, from... The, uh, the right fielder just went back to the wall and just watched it go. Watched it go. Red Barber, originally from Columbus, Mississippi. Um, what about Cardinals fans? Here's what it sounded like, Cardinals fans, when your late great announcer... Jack Buck was on the call. Shooter from the belt to the plate. A swing and a miss. And that's a winner. That's a winner. A World Series winner for the Cardinals. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run. And the Cardinals have won the game by the score of 3-2. to two. Swing 
Bruce Dude, Suter. Bruce yeah. Suter. Yeah. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Um, here's one for me, one of my favorites growing up, obviously as a Braves fan, Skip Carey. This was Game 7 of the 92 NLCS, Pirates and Braves. Game 7, Skip Carey on the call, Sid Bream on base. A lot of room in right center. If he hits one there, we can dance in the streets. The 2-1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Bream. Here's the throw to the plate. He is safe. Braves win. Braves win. Braves win. Braves win. Sid Bream. He's down at the bottom of a huge pile at the plate. They help him to his feet. Frank Cabrera. <laughs> Sounded a lot like his daddy, didn't he? Braves win. Braves win. Cubs win. Cubs win. Yeah. He yeah, sure he did. Like him. But Sid Bream, oh, that was one of the – it hurt so much watching him run. Yeah. We rounded third base. He had a knee brace on. <laughs> he had that knee brace, yeah. Um, Harry Callis was the longtime announcer for the Philadelphia Phillies. He had an iconic home run call. He most of the time he'd say, um, "Deep to left, out of here," and people would always imitate that. Here's the stretch by Robinson. The three-zero pitch. Swing a long drive. There it is. Number five hundred. The career five hundred home run for Michael Jack Smith. Phillies have regained the lead at Pittsburgh, 8-6, and the Phillies dugout comes swarming out to home plate. <laughs> 500th home run for Mike Schmidt. How about that? Ernie Harwell, you heard his voice earlier. Ernie Harwell, when uh, Jack Morris threw a ho- no-hitter in 1984. Working up the set position now. He goes to his set. Chittle waits. Here it comes. He him out and Morris has a no-hitter. Lance Parrish goes out and grabs him and the Tigers get a no-hit performance for the first time since 1958 when Jim Bunning did it. Jack Morris, the no-hit hero, surrounded by his teammates in the ninth inning Chicago. No runs, no hits, no errors, one man left and the final score, Detroit 4, Chicago nothing. That's what it sounds like. Update, Tiger Woods putting for Eagle at the Masters. Here's live coverage. A little defensive with that effort there. (laughs) Just short. So he'll tap in for birdie on the 13th to get back to one under. That was happening live. That was happening live. I just thought we'd just take a peek right there. What a day. So tomorrow, a little bit of a different show. And I'll be in a different locale, but I'll be with you tomorrow. And uh, it'll be day two at Augusta, and we'll know if the Braves are 1-0 and or 0-1. I've enjoyed the day. I hope you have, too. Bill, appreciate you, as always. You, too, sir. For Bill, I'm Matt. Everybody here at the show in the Farm Bureau studio, Farm Bureau, go with the home team, and we will see you manana. See ya.